You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Firstly, thank you, Pastor Cheng Lai, for that um, communion. It was really good to think about, and I think it really flows well into today's message. Well, welcome everyone to Sunlife Church. It is fantastic to see you here. Happy 2024. Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> for those who haven't met me yet or don't know me, my name is David, and I am, as Jordan said, the youth director and kids director here at Sunlife Church, and it is a wonderful opportunity to share with you guys again. So, as you may have noticed, Pastor Bin and his family are not here, and they're on a well-deserved break. They'll be back at the end of the month. And um, so, while our service may be shorter and smaller, it'll still be mighty, as this morning's worship test um, proved. <laughs> well, how was Christmas break for everyone? Did everyone um, get their, um, how do you say, their fill of all the desserts? Anyone found out that uh, after the Christmas lunch, you could not move? I'm sure there's plenty of good food going around. Uh, how many of you guys actually got a proper holiday? Anyone get like at least two days off? Yes, maybe. <laughs> how about the parents? Did it feel like a Christmas? Did it feel like a holiday or just different kind of work, maybe? <laughs> Changing one type of work for another. It's all beautiful chaos, yes? Well, as we try to fit in so much into such a short time, I pray that above all, you guys had the opportunity to be part of the best gift, which is community and celebrating Jesus together. But you know, one of my favorite things about Christmas is actually the decorations. As you can see, we've still got ours up for a few more uh, days. I, I'm sure Australia Day will come and we'll have, it'll all be over. But um, that's a beautiful thing, right? You see, as the Christmas starts to get near, sometimes as early as like uh, September, it seems, you start to see Christmas decorations pop up here and there. For myself, always, first week of Christmas, that Christmas tree goes up. But um, something I always love to do for myself is actually make some decorations out of Lego. So if you see behind me, I've got the little reindeer made from Lego. I love, I love the little personal touch, right? But normally, I would have left my tree up, like I said, maybe even till the end of January. But I actually had to take it down as I'm moving house uh, this last weekend. But did you know there's actually an official day to take down your Christmas tree? Anyone know? That was actually yesterday. Yes. So some of you may not uh, know, but there's actually a special event or a special day in the church calendar yesterday known as Epiphany, or otherwise it's also known as Three Kings Day, which leads us to today's message. Today I will actually be talking about the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, and our sermon today is titled The True Gift. Let me pray before we continue. Dear God, thank you for your great gift that you gave yourself as we remember Christmas and look forward to this new year. You are the one who first showed us your great love, and now we long to give back to you all we have in worship and praise. May the Lamb receive the reward for his suffering. Amen. Now, before I continue, I feel like I need to clear up some common myths or misunderstandings about the wise men. If you look at the traditional Christmas cards or some nativity scenes, you might think that the wise men actually came during the... Uh, nativity scene, right? You see the shepherds, you see Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and the wise men. But if we actually read Matthew 2, it turns out the wise men didn't actually come during that. It was actually quite a bit later, 
two years to be uh, exact. And by this point in time, the family uh, had found a house. So these wise men never even met the shepherds. And if we look as well, we see that it doesn't say that there were three wise men. Now, it makes sense. You see three gifts. You think three men. Okay. But the Bible, again, never clarifies and says there were only three men. So if instead of looking like this, we might see it, this the next picture would be the more accurate. Although I have to say, this uh, more ancient painting style does have some questions that I <laughs> I'm very confused about as well. But um, this more traditional idea of Jesus being visited as a child. So now that we've clarified that, let me get on to today's message: a true gift. And as we go through today's passage, I want us to have a look at the three gifts that they gave, and what the gift that Jesus ended up giving. And then how can we give a gift to God? What gift could we possibly bring to God? So come with me to Matthew 2 to look at our scripture today. If you have the Bible app, uh, sorry, or the um, church app, this is a great time to open that for the notes. So Matthew 2, 1 to 2. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Well, have a look. What does it say here? These wise men came from eastern lands. So, probably not Jewish, right? And yet, they came to worship the king of the Jews. And if we actually jump ahead to verse 6 in Matthew 2, they quote a prophecy from Micah 5, verse 2. See the similarities, right? You, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. This is an incredible prophecy. How specific is this? But how did these wise men, who are not Jewish, by the way, remember that, how did they come to know of this Hebrew prophecy? This hundreds of years separating the prophecy and the uh, fulfillment. Well, most likely from Daniel. Remember, Daniel in his time in Babylon, became chief over all magicians, astrologers, enchanters, and fortune tellers, as we can see in Daniel 5.11. But now we get to this intriguing part of the story. Let's look to Matthew 2.11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, what makes these gifts so special? How many of you parents here remember a baby shower, your first child? So exciting. You get all these gifts. You get like 300 nappies. And you're like, I'm, why? And then you get like 20 of the baby clothes. And you're like, I'm not going to wear these all. They're all going to... You know, not all gifts are as useful. Um, maybe some of you would have received jewelry uh, for your kid. I know some cultures do that. You get ears pierced quite young in Indian culture, for example, and other cultures. So maybe gold makes sense for a baby's gift. Uh, nice little, um, uh, how do you say, uh, gift for later in life that'll help them save up some money, you know. But frankincense and myrrh, I wouldn't say a traditional gift for a baby. If you um, know what they look like, they're basically a perfume and resin. They smell nice. You know, okay, Maybe, you know, babies do make a bit of a stink. Maybe some nice-smelling perfume would be nice for the parents. But it's <laughs> a little bit deeper than that. 
So come with me to 2 Chronicles 9.9 as we look at the gift of gold. Now, if you're familiar with this story, right, you've got the king of uh, King Solomon, king of Israel, and he is living it up. He is all of the wealth, all the luxury. He's got this amazing temple that he's built. He's got an amazing palace for himself. He's got palaces for all of his wives. But we have at this point the queen of Sheba, who comes because she's heard of his great wisdom. And as she's coming and she sees, and it's not his wisdom that impresses her as much as his relationship with his servants and his humility. And so after that, as she's leaving, she brings an extravagant gift of about 9,000 pounds of gold, which already sounds pretty big. Then you put it in today's currency, and that's over $200 million. I don't know if you've ever met someone that rich, but that is incredible generosity. And then if we turn to Exodus 25, 26, and we look at God's instructions to Moses, God says, you shall overlay it with pure gold at least seven times. And many other times throughout these instructions to Moses, as he's building the tabernacle, he instructs for things to be made of pure gold. And back to Solomon, all these years later, when building the temple, he used around 2,000 pounds of gold to make this temple. See, gold was an expensive material, but it was used in the place of authority to designate kings and worship. In these places of high value, of awe, that's where gold was used. And it symbolizes ultimate authority. And if we look back at the beginning of Matthew 2, that is exactly what the wise men intended. They knew the child Jesus was king of the Jews, and this is a worthy gift to give a king. Let's look then at frankincense. Maybe some of you have heard of this and it's a little bit of a clue. What it is, is in the name itself. Incense. So with a little bit of research, and as we're looking back in Exodus, all these things point back to Exodus, right? If we look in the instructions to Moses again, this was an ingredient used in the making of holy incense, which was placed at the Ark of the Covenant. So whenever the high priest entered that once a year, this would be the smell they would smell. This is what they associate with God and the meeting place. In Exodus 30, 34, 35, it says, Take sweet spices, stacte, onyctia, galbanum, sweet spices with pure incense, and make incense. It was placed right there in the tent of meeting where God would meet with man. And it symbolizes this holiness, this divinity, this God who comes down and makes himself available. So again, this frankincense symbolizes divinity. And I love what it says here in Exodus 30, 37. It is reserved for the Lord. How amazing this gift is in its prophetic nature, proclaiming by giving this frankincense to Jesus that Jesus is fully God. Now, we have the final spice, the final gift, this gift of myrrh. Now, it's mentioned in a few different places in the Bible, in different traditions and different uses, but I want to highlight these two uses. The first one is that it was used in preparing dead bodies. So it was a part of an embalming process used by a few different cultures. And even Jesus himself, when he was, died, when he was buried, and Nicodemus and Joseph buried Jesus' body. In John 19, 39, 
it says he brought 75 pounds of ointment made from myrrh and aloes. So Jesus himself, at the beginning and at the end, was given myrrh. And even while he was dying on the cross, myrrh was mixed with a drink and it was offered to him on a sponge. See, myrrh is everywhere. But the second use that myrrh, again, going back to Exodus, we see it was made, used as an ingredient in anointing oil. And this anointing oil was put on everything important. When everything was supposed to be finished and it was supposed to be set apart and made holy, it was put on the priest's it was put on the Ark of the Covenant. It was put on the covenant of the table. All these things, the anointing oil covered it all. It was what made these ordinary things holy and set apart. And so this symbolizes humanity. And as we look again, we know that Jesus was fully man. So let me move away from the gifts. I want to give a bit of a greater context because we see this symbolism in other places as well. If we look at this imagery of the temple, right, this vision was something that already existed in heaven. And so when the God spoke to Moses and told him how to create the tabernacle, he was recreating something that already existed in heaven. And so again, with the uh, temple later on, it's this imagery, this symbolism. And this was a way to share almost the gospel before Jesus even came. This was a hint a foretelling, like a prophecy. So let me look at Hebrews 4.14. Now Hebrews is an incredible book. Highly recommend you read it. You've got this huge parts of uh, Hebrews 4 all the way to Hebrews 10 talking about Jesus' identity and the symbolism mentioned all the way from Genesis to uh, Malachi. So Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And so the author of Hebrews here points out Jesus is the great high priest. So where before you had a Levite who would go in once a year and would sacrifice first on their own uh, behalf and then for the people. And this was a one representative for the people of Israel. And now Jesus for all people, not just for the Israelites, but for all people, became the high priest who offered one single sacrifice that was good enough forever and did not need to enter again and again. Jesus, the great high priest. And a little later on in Hebrews 10, verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So not only do we see Jesus made mention in the book of Hebrews as the high priest, he was the sacrifice as well. This perfect, pure sacrifice. And just a little side note, something really interesting. The lamb that was used in the Passover, where you sacrificed a lamb and you smeared the blood over the door, that whole imagery, that lamb that was traditionally like sacrificed, set apart, the manger that Jesus was laid in as a baby was the same place where that lamb would have been kept the night before. So another huge clue, Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. So as we come back, we see Hebrews is pointing out this incredible imagery, high priest and sacrifice. The one who received the gift at birth became the gift at death. So let's look back at these three gifts. Where do we see these gifts represented? 
what I've been saying all along, it's in Exodus, in this meeting place where we see the Ark of the Covenant covered in gold, with wood almost representing humanity and covered by the gold representing divinity. And a whole other thing. We see Jesus um, in the, being the temple through the gift of gold. The gold is everywhere. We see Jesus represented um, by the, as a priest through the gift of frankincense. And he's the sacrifice through the gift of myrrh. All these three met at that Holy of Holies, not just the generic temple, but the specific holiest place that could one meet with God. How fitting, then, that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? As Jesus took his last breath, right? That curtain that divided the rest of the tabernacle and the temple from the Holy of Holies, that temple curtain was torn in two. See here, Luke 23, 45. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Yet another sign that we all have access to God now. And let me point back to the wise men. Remember, these were Gentiles who brought these gifts. So not only were these gifts pointing to Jesus' identity, but also to the unrestricted access that all of us now have to God through Jesus. So how incredible that while Jesus was still a baby, this whole complete gospel message was already preached. God used these wise men, these Gentiles, through their gifts to proclaim Jesus' identity and his plan to die on the cross for our sin. And we have this amazing revelation, right? How Jesus, through the symbolism of the gifts. So what does it mean for us? Is there then an expectation in worship? Are we now supposed to tithe hundreds, like millions of pounds, <laughs> dollars of gold? Are we supposed to go mining and find all these frankincense and myrrh and bring them to church? No, maybe not. Are we supposed to wear expensive perfume and just look good? So are we supposed to use this oil on ourselves? Are we supposed to be um, living like priests ourselves? You're getting closer. <laughs> but then what gift could we possibly give to God? Yes, we have this amazing access to God. How can we not also worship him then for who he is and what he's done? So what does worship look like then? If worship is our gift to God, what does it look like? Well, is it just the singing? As amazing as it is, I say it's not just that. There's more than that. Have you ever considered, even if it's not just singing, the position of your body? I know we're Reformed Charismatics, so we're not quite all of the dancing up here and all the tambourines and banners. <laughs> but that position of your body, it really matters as well. It helps us to connect if you're, uh, who remembers watching um, church online during the COVID, right? There's that difference when you're just there and you can, you can put on the music, you can walk around the house, but there's a difference when you engage, when you really commit. Maybe this is the time for you to be courageous and try raising your hands because that is that indication, yes, I surrender. You are the one worthy of receiving praise. Maybe it's kneeling. Maybe this is the time when you can kneel. And again, it's a symbolism saying you deserve it. In the same way, baptism 
it's a wonderful, amazing symbol to declare to others, I surrender, I believe in Jesus, in the way we position our bodies during worship. Now, maybe you don't um, feel like that's a place to do it in the church building on a Sunday. That's fine. There's no pressure. I'm not making you do it. There's no one watching and being like, oh, no, not a true Christian. Didn't bow down today. No. But maybe this is something for you to do in your private time. I know that there is so much that comes from community that is great for worship. Yes, come here every Sunday. Come meet with your connect group. But private worship is also so important and powerful, so necessary for your walk with God. Yes, you should come to church. Yes, you should connect with others. But personal private worship is so incredible and so powerful too. And you know, worship isn't just when there's nice songs and all that. We can worship God through our daily life as well. How do you show honor to God in what you do? How do you show honor to God in your finance? Are you spending wisely? Are you just buying things for yourself because it feels nice? Are you generous? Now, I know traditionally Australia is seen as a generous culture, and yes, in fact, remember last year, we had Destiny's Rescue, we had Compassion, we had all these guys come through, and we, as a church, let alone all of the rest of Australia, give incredible amounts, and I'm so happy to be part of a church that is so generous. But what about the other days? Are you being willing to be interrupted on the streets when someone asks for money? Do you like, okay, well, maybe your instinct is like, oh, I can't give money, therefore I can't be generous at all. Maybe you can be generous with your time. Are you thinking out of your way, how can you bless that person? It's like, okay, they maybe ask for money, you can't give that. Do you walk away or do you ask, can I buy you a meal? Maybe there's different ways we can be honoring and respectful towards one another with our finance. Maybe we don't stress over every penny. Maybe we can just be that little extra generous. We like, if someone asks to borrow, you can turn around and be like, you know what? Just consider it a gift. Don't worry about returning it. Now, of course, be wise, but follow God's heart. If God's heart is to bless, how much more who us, who are made in his image, more than others should be generous and like our God. Don't let those who don't follow God be more like God than you are. You should be the example for your friends and family. And so again, with time, how are you spending your time? You show me how you spend your time. I'll show you what you value. Now, for my youth here, I know gaming, whether it's sports or online, is such a fantastic uh, hobby. And there can be such benefits from that in both health and creativity and strategic thinking. But can I ask, how many hours are you spending on your Xbox, your Switch? How many hours are you playing Fortnite? A day, a week? I, what are you neglecting when you spend your time on these things? These can be wonderful, wonderful things. Adults too, I know we've got all our different hobbies, working on our cars, fixing up the house, all very useful things. But what else could we be doing with our time if we're not just using our time for ourselves? I know we have some great ministries from this church and I really love uh, all you guys here who volunteer. I know we had our appreciation at the end of the year. You guys who volunteer, just because even though us at the church, like you guys have a full-time job and you're still volunteering. So that just really inspires us who uh, work for the church or staff here to spend not just our 40 hours, but you guys inspire us to work even harder. So thank you for that. It doesn't have to be just volunteering at the church, you know. Of course, yes, we have our Agape, our Aaron Moore, and all the other ministries that are blessed to have you guys as volunteers. But there are so many other ways to spend your time to bless and to encourage. 
because if we look at what does Jesus say, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. This is how we worship God, by blessing and loving and spending our time on one another. I know some are maybe more introvert, some are more extrovert. That doesn't exclude you from being a blessing. Just because you need some more time to yourself, absolutely use that. But even you guys who are introverts can find a way to be a blessing. So in addition to spending time at church with your Connect group, I just encourage you again, have that personal time with God. And I feel like I come up here every time I preach and say the same thing. Your quiet time with God is so important, so valuable. But it is, and that's just something we need to remember that God doesn't just want to be part of our week. He wants to be part of our every day. So in the morning, if that works for you, in the evening, if that works for you, as you're on the streets, pray without ceasing. Be consistent. Memorize the scripture. For when the Holy Spirit wants to bring something to mind, he can use that scripture that you've been studying, you've been reading on. I know um, some of you might be aware there was Alpha that we did last year, twice actually. And I've started reading his Bible in a Year plan uh, that Nikki Gumbel has. It's fantastic. And so getting to hear the scriptures from Psalms, from Genesis, Matthew, and looking through, uh, and then his devotion on that as well. Such a great way to start the day. So if you haven't gotten a plan, I highly recommend his Bible year and reading plan. It's fantastic. But in all things, what I want to encourage you with, if you're unsure, like what gift can you possibly give to the king, to the God who has everything, who made everything, this is what you can give to him, worship. And so whether you do that through your finance, through your time, through the community, all these things matter. To love and to serve the least of these is to bless God. And so as we reflect and look back on Christmas, let us also look forward. And I tell you, I can't wait to get to heaven. You know, maybe that traditional image of just sitting in the clouds, playing harps. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I've ever, I mean, I play saxophone. Maybe I should worship God with my saxophone when I get to heaven. But I'm, I'm praise God, it's not just about that kind of worship. If worship is community and getting together and meeting God face to face, my goodness, I'm so excited to get to heaven one day and just worship God in a completely new way. As it says in the Bible, there was numbers upon numbers. Uh, uh, all these untold like, people from all nations and sun worshiping God together. Now that's going to be amazing. But this idea of coming to God and worshiping, I don't just want to save my worship for heaven. I want to start now. So my final challenge for you then, I, I really want you to guys to think about this. How can I worship you this week, God? How can I honor you? What gift can I give you? And so ask God. After all, he has the best idea. He knows what he wants. So I trust that each of you will uh, have that ability to speak to God and you can hear from him. I know he will speak to you. But if you guys want prayer, if anyone... uh, uh, wants maybe a little bit of community, a little bit of accountability, then we'd love to pray for you at the end. If you want to find your Connect Group leader if they're here today, otherwise I'm sure our staff here, myself included, would love to pray for you guys after the service. Um, but that's it from me, and I just want to encourage you. Um, yeah, you don't have to be perfect to worship. There's no um, judge being like, okay, yep, didn't meet this criteria, or perfect. No. God is a generous God, and so his ultimate gift for you and now we can give a generous gift to God through our worship